We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the Serum Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serum Archaeology Podcast, episode 220 for August 11th, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk to Dr. Andrew Kinkella, a professor at Moorpark College in California and Heather's first college professor. So get ready for school in the fall because the CRM Archaeology podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Heather in California. Heather, how's it going? Hi, everyone. Great. All right. Heather's uh, a real trooper right now. She's sitting in a parking garage at LAX waiting to get on a plane, but doing the podcast anyway. <laughs> I've definitely podcasted from some interesting areas yes, in have. my time here. So, <laughs> yeah. But Heather, we have a guest on the line today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yes. him? This is Dr. Andrew Kinkella. Hi, Andrew. Or do, or, or do you want to be referred to as Dr. <laughs> Kinkella? I want both Dr. Professor Andrew Kinkella, if you could do that, that would be great. (laughs) Dr. Professor Sir Mister. (laughs) Yes. No redundancy there. No, 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 no. (laughs) This is how I'm going to introduce you. So we we talk a lot, Andrew. I know, not sure how much you've listened to, but we talk a lot about how academia doesn't always prepare students for CRM world and for getting a job, for being, you know, for being uh, successful. So I always bring up an example of this ideal, perfect professor who set me up for success. And the reason (laughs) now, how much are you paying me for this? I can't. <laughs> no, I know. So there's this guy, and then you talk about me after that. Right? As a contrast of what? No. Yes. <laughs> so I do talk a lot about how I feel very fortunate. Seriously, how I feel very fortunate to have been had my very first professor be somebody who who really focused on making sure that you had not just you know these theoretical you know it's so always nice to have this you know ivory white tower idea and and theoretical understandings that are the underpinnings of our profession or our discipline but the right. practical aspects of archaeology is so important and really that's what's going to result in a job and in being successful and in many jobs and in continue to be successful and move up the ladder. And so I have you to thank for that. Andrew is that that professor that I talk about a lot on on this podcast. And so, you know, in in essence, I think how how long had you been a professor when I was in your class? You know, that was pretty early days. Like I'd started in the fall of 2004 and, and you came in just like maybe a handful of years later, you know, so that was, that was pretty new for me. And, and also I will say, I, I have listened to the podcast a handful of times and there was one show where you were talking about like a professor and it took me a moment and I was like, Oh my God, that's me. That's me. She's talking about it's me. Aww. 
<laughs> it was one of those golden moments as a professor where you have a student and you're like, wow, hey, I made a difference doing yeah. this thing, you know, and you're successful in your career in this world. So that, that makes me feel very good, Aww. you know, and I just, <laughs> it's great. No, it's, it's, it's the, the best part of, of being a professor, you know, mm -hmm. when, when you teach someone some stuff and they use it and it, it benefits their yeah. life, you know? So yeah. yeah, those were early days. That was early. It's still largely the same. Although I would say I've maybe sanded down a couple rough edges, you know, as, a, as I've learned as time has gone on. Ah, well, I liked those rough edges, but <laughs> maybe not everyone did. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, the, I think stuff you're thinking of, no, those rough edges are still oh, there. Okay, I, okay. I mean, in terms of kind of behind the scenes, sure. you know, running the class yeah. and, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is a bit, making sure a porta potty is out there, you know, some of the. I still, more important one things. of my favorite photos in the field, which you actually on that, the one project near Point Magoo. You had gotten yeah. a porter potty, and I don't know if you remember Austin Reader. Yeah, yeah, and he took a picture. He caught me coming out of the porter potty, and for a little while, I <laughs> right. used that as my profile. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and there's there's so many golden moments like that. You know, I just I feel so fortunate to be able to teach a class like yeah. that because. Unfortunately, as you know, you've uh, alluded to in the past, some of these skill sets are literally a black arts. Like so few people teach this yep. stuff, and it and it drives me nuts that archaeology as a discipline has gotten as far as it has from a basic skill set where you get graduate students. I mm -hmm. mean, people in PhD programs who've never gone on a field I know. school, like who've never dug and it's like how how why are you here how how can you be in a graduate program and have never done the thing yeah well you know? so to to give some perspective for those that are listening so andrew yeah. set up there's i think it, it did occur before you came along but you just made it even better and, and definitely more fun so he has a field school at moorpark college and it's a field class actually but it is just as good if not better than a, than a field school. And what, what's nice about it is, that, you know, I know everybody has these kind of pie in the sky idea of I'm going to go to Greece and I'm going to go for like whatever, six weeks or three weeks or whatever, pay a ton of money. And, and then I'm going to come back and that's going to be my field school. And a lot of people know that, you know, a lot of a lot of companies do like to see a field school because they like to see that you have some experience before the trowel in the ground. And then they have, you know, obviously graduate schools want to see that as well. But really going to Greece, going and, and nothing wrong with that. I, I would have loved to have done that. But when I was in class, I, my children were very small. That was not something that was practical. I just could not do that. I could not take my kids to Greece. It just wasn't going to work. And so I needed that field experience. And I remember like at that time, I still thought I was going to go into biblical archaeology and do all this really oh, cool yeah. stuff. And to me, California archaeology was boring. And little did I right. know that it's so you know, but I, I just, there was a whole world waiting for me and California archaeology is, is tremendous. I mean, I'm really lucky to specialize in California archaeology. But so anyway, to, to be able to have a field school that not only 
is local and accessible. It was every weekend. We were there eight hours a day. And then you're honing your skills in an area that you're more than likely going to practice in your profession. So, you know, a lot of times we have people that come in, you know, they have field, when, when we're hiring, they have field school in Greece and people do different things in different, in different countries. On top of that, right. field schools are not always aimed, they're aimed at bringing in money they're aimed at funding the project, really. And you're not usually getting the same kind of practical experience that you get in a class like Andrew put together. And so there's the context. But I'll let you give your perspective from a professor's side. Sure. First, you've just shown me that this is all about money. And I've been doing this all wrong the entire time. I, I need to charge much, much more than I have. I, I'm actually really proud that, man, my archaeological field school, we are the cheapest show in the business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All, all you need to do is spend money on three credits at a community college and, you know, you are you're in the system and how this works just to just sort of tell how, how this entire kind of thing works. When I got my job, basically, as Heather alluded to, there was a, a professor who was there before and he was there for like 30 years. And he set up what I would basically call a 1970s style uh, archaeology program. Right. And uh, he had retired and had gone a little bit fallow, but it was perfect it was because I could just sort of breathe life into it yeah. again and, and start it again and kind of jump over all the stuff that has been done in the 80s and 90s up until today that really gets us away from the nuts and bolts field work. So I really run an updated 1970s <laughs> archaeological field school. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's nuts and bolts. And I do three classes, one per semester, right? There's the excavation one, which we're largely talking about where we go out and we're fortunate enough to have access to a, to a local site. It's on private property, right? And we have good relationship with the landowner and we do that. And then we also have a field survey class where we do survey and mapping, where I take the students to various local archaeological sites and we just do a different type of mapping every weekend. And then we have a lab class where we process any artifacts we've uh, found. I also teach them how to write a CV in the lab portion. And then they also have to do a project where they write up some portion of the stuff that we found. And the reason why I do all this is because I give the students what I wanted. You know, I just think back to when I was a student and what did I want? And I wanted two things. First, I wanted the romance of archaeology, right? So I also teach like Egyptology and Mysteries of the Ancient Maya because there's nothing wrong with the romance of archaeology. It's what gets people interested, right? Everyone loves King Tut. So I wanted that. But then on the other side, I wanted a real skill set. I wanted to know how to really do it. And so I always had my ear to the ground for all of these black arts skills. And I was like, you know, I'm going to teach my students this. So I took those classes as well as a student. And really what I teach are, I, I stole a lot from my old professors. And, and I say old, meaning these guys were usually, you know, older people bringing skill sets down that were, that are really from like, you know, again, the sixties and seventies, because there hasn't been an update on a lot of that stuff. And again, we're losing that stuff. And I, I just, I want that to stay strong and robust. Yeah. And then also for my own history, I, I was always getting CRM jobs, like in the summer and stuff from the skill set I got from my professors. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to give the skill set to the students so they can do the same. They can work in local archaeology as they're doing yeah. whatever it is they do with the ancient Maya or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's what's, and, and I did, I want you to share a little bit about 
kind of your circuitous path and how you went. I mean, because so Chris, also, so you know, he was a minor in film. It was film studies. No, I, I was a uh, I was a double major ultimately okay. in archaeology and film. Got it. And then and then you you I know you use that. You were into acting. You did you know kind of yes. went that route for a little while. And then you did yes. CRM. So why don't you talk yes. a little bit about your journey, just so the people know? Because I I really do believe, and and we'll talk about this about returning students and how, and, and not that oh. you know people that just go through college straight out of high school. There's nothing wrong with that path too. But I also want to talk about right. the returning students because you end up with a lot of returning students in your classes and the value of that and how people do have kind of like these intangible skill sets that, that life experience gives you. But if you could just right. tell us your journey. From you know, from being an undergrad up. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, chapter one in the life history of Andrew oh, Kinkel. Um, so, so <laughs> no, I, I went to I went to UC Santa Barbara, and originally I was going to be an actor, right? I was going to be an an acting major, but uh, I, I very quickly actually enjoyed what was so funny is I ended up enjoying my archaeology class way more than the acting class. And it was a flip on the cliche, meaning the archaeology class is supposed to be boring, but it wasn't. It was totally dynamic and awesome. It was taught by Professor Brian Fagan, who is famous for writing textbooks and stuff and fantastic public lecturer while my drama class was so boring, like taught by a total, like just boring, just stiff, you know? So I, I changed into archaeology and then I missed the acting stuff. So then I did film. So I ended up being a double major in archaeology and film. And as I went through my undergraduate, I also, my first field school was three months in Belize in Central America on a, a project run by Dr. Annabelle Ford at El Pilar, a site on the Belize-Guatemala border. And I did that as a junior. And that really kind of cooked my goose in archaeology. I was like, man, I want to do this, you know, because it's like I'm at an ancient Maya pyramid on the border between Belize and Guatemala. And that's what I mean from earlier about sort of the romance of it. Right. We can't lose sight of that. We can't yep. just give people spreadsheets about the measurements of their stone beads. Because awesome. nobody cares. Absolutely. You know, nobody cares about that. You have to wrap it into a publicly accessible dynamic, interesting story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I continued with the sort of the Maya thing. I, gra I graduated as a double major, but then I took two years off. And in those two years, between my bachelor's and master's, I did do a decent amount of CRM. And I was also on an improv comedy team. So I was actually like CRM archaeologist by day, improv comedian by <laughs> night. Uh, I, well, I was that for, you know, the better part. Of yeah, okay. I was going to yeah, say, well. you, had, you didn't, it wasn't by night only, but that was that was before you were a professor because you definitely interject yeah. that skill set as a professor, which makes it. Fun. Yes. Yeah. And, and talking about what you said about, you know, various skill sets, returning students and that kind of stuff. I mean, my experience on stage as an improv actor only helps sure. being a professor. Yeah. It's like, do you think I'm scared at the SAA meetings? <laughs> no, I, I've been in front of a rowdy biker gang audience, you know, like With come Lee on. And then throwing beer bottles, Dude. right? Like Blues Brothers. Dude, it was, <laughs> It was literally half a step from Blues Brothers. It was, I've never gotten off a stage faster in my life. Oh, it was wild. But anyway, you know, with those kind of experiences, I always tell my students to wrap that stuff in, you know, to your, to your graduate studies or whatever, to use what you know. So I did, I was doing a lot of CRM and then I, I was still going to Belize. So a typical year for me, like two months of it, I'd go to Belize. And then I, I'm like, I'm already going to Belize. I should get a master's thesis. And, and, and so 
I did that. I continued going to Belize, working on the ancient Maya, got a master's thesis, but then I'd also do CRM. And then there was another year between my master's and my PhD. And in that year, I did more CRM, you know, and then I ultimately focused on the ancient Maya some more for my PhD. And I will say I did what everyone says you're supposed to not do, which is when I started my PhD program, they're like, you cannot do any other outside jobs. But of course, we all need to because Mm -hmm. we want to do things like buy food, (laughs) have a place with a roof on it, you know, so I would go to school like Mondays, Wednesdays, and I'd monitor Tuesdays, Thursdays, you know, and I did that for a couple years. But then that's what that's what brought me to where I I am. So as I was working on my PhD, I applied for my job at Moorpark. And I, I was always had my eye out to be a professor who was in front of a general audience. That's what I like best. That's where my skill set focuses, right? I'm not the person who's locked in a lab. I'm the one on stage going like, hey, isn't archaeology awesome? So I got my job at Moorpark. And then uh, that sort of brings us to where I am today. Yeah, that's, uh, I I think that's a perfect spot to, you know, head off to our next segment of awesomeness with Dr. Andrew Kinkella. So much awesomeness. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field? Then check out An Introduction to Paleoradiography, a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines. Created by archaeologist, radiographer, and lecturer James Elliott, the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education. It is approved by the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists as four hours of training. That's in the UK, for those of you that don't know. So don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development. For more information on pricing, and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. Welcome back to episode 220 of the CRM ARC podcast. And we are talking to my favorite professor, Dr. Andrew (laughs) Kinkella. Um, (laughs) And in the the first segment, we were talking a lot about your background, kind of our connection. And we we kind of, we hinted on a few subjects. And one subject in particular is the idea of returning students. And I think even though you kind of took this, even though it was circuitous path, but it was pretty much chronological. I mean, like you, you, you went through the stages that people typically go through with a few kind of interruptions here and there to actually do some real life stuff. (laughs) But there are a lot of those of us, including myself, that had another career. And then we came to archaeology as a second or third career. And so we were returning students. And, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit because I think you know, the reason I got so much out of your classes was because you did have that perspective of people you know, the life skills, the, the, the things that you gain, anything in life, any of any experience 
assists you in being a good archaeologist. And that was definitely a theme that I saw throughout all your classes and the respect that you have for people that, uh, you know, have had other lifestyles before they come to archaeology and how much of that definitely is not something that is uh, a detraction. It, it actually isn't a a benefit. And so I know, you know, especially in community colleges, you tend to to have a lot of returning students because they are trying their hand at trying to go back to school right. while working, while having children. And, and so, but you're so good at helping people understand that they have value as a returning student. So I thought, you know, I'd like to hear you kind of from your perspective. Sure, 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 sure. First, uh, in terms of returning students, I just want to say to all returning students listening to this, do not be afraid. Do come and take the class. You know, do go to your local community college. We love returning students. It's the opposite of what you think. People think, oh, I'm a returning student. I'll be an outcast. And it's like, no, do I want a class full of 40 19-year-olds? No, <laughs> I want I want variety, you know, and and returning students with, a, with their um, skill set from other areas, it's only good. Like I've had people who were carpenters who helped fix all the screens. You know, I've had people who are into art, who drew the artifacts. It's like, yep. even if you don't have a skill set that I can immediately use like that, you know, we want you to come, we want you to try it out. Because I've had so many returning students who I think have had a really just great, fulfilling time you know, and realizing that they can do it and realizing it's not really that bad and realizing it just adds a skill set and it adds joy to their lives. So right. I, I just want to throw that out there. It's like, come take the classes, returning students. We are here for you, you know. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because when I was in, actually, when I started taking classes, I was actually teaching upholstery. I don't know if you remember that. I that's do. Not my I do other, that was, yeah, that's not my other, that's not my first career. My first career is mm -hmm. a hockey thing. But yeah. So I was teaching upholstery and it just to show you like how crazy that can be, because I don't think I ever told you this story. Mm -hmm. So my first job was with Far Western in California, very well-respected, right. well-known, uh, oh, great yeah. Yeah, yeah. CRM firm up in Northern California. And we did a really large BLM, Bureau of Land Management survey, huge, uh, down in the 29 Palms area. And right. when we were surveying, we were coming across, you know, a lot of debris, you know, that you would think was modern debris, but mm -hmm. it turned out that it was like old, almost kind of prospector type or right. or was i don't know smaller homesteads but mm -hmm. but kind of more transient homesteads mm -hmm. but just to show you how anything can help you identify because really you know anthropology obviously and archaeology is a study of human behavior and so anything helps anything any kind right. of part of the human experience helps right. with your ability to interpret and so we're coming across all these springs and frames for furniture and because of my background in in archaeology, people were just kind of like they weren't even thinking about. And I was able to even identify some uh, automobiles or be able to tell people that that some of these and they really were just spring. They're just left yeah. springs. Yeah. And people were assuming that they were furniture. But in actuality, they were automotive. And right. so it was, you know, we were even able to date or at least date the artifacts based sure. on 
my knowledge of upholstery. So, you right. know, it sounds kind of crazy. Like how in the world could upholstery help? But anything in life, any of your life experience helps. It, it totally does. I've seen this happen once and twice and a thousand times, you know, both in local projects in California and in, in Belize as well. Like I, I have a ton of those side stories. Like for myself, one of my side hustles way back when was I was a lifeguard. I was just like a pool lifeguard, you know, for, for years. And like I, I had to be the de facto first aid person on a site in Belize, you know, where people yep. like cut themselves really bad or whatever. So it's like, I've, I've used that skill set. I, I, I happen to learn about historic bottles here in California on a CRM gig that I used later in the Maya area when we found a historic camp from like the 1920s. And only I had that skill set. And it was because wow. I worked in California. So you're, yep. you know, and we could probably go on and on about so much of this. Again, it's true. The, the most sort of obtuse out there skill set that you think would never matter. They, it's hilarious how it comes around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's another aspect, you know, even if you don't, let, let's say you were, you're a returning student and you sat in your basement your whole life, but, or maybe you, you know, just worked. Then you know all job. about basements. Yeah, you can you talk know, about exactly. basements. <laughs> exactly. Even just a life experience can, can help. I mean, it, understanding that trying something and failing is probably one of the most valuable things in life. Right. So if right. somebody who, no, I mean, you get that. That's not to say that people that are younger, that don't have that experience. Absolutely. They have that experience. The older you are though, the, the more chance you have to have more of those experiences. And it just all depends. I mean, you know, I had a lot of experience before I was 17 years old just because right. of my lifestyle, but not everybody has that. And so, you know, making, making sure that people can be successful in the CRM world, it is, it's not an easy world. It's, it's actually, I think, probably a lot like acting. You yeah, know, there's a lot of no's. There's a lot of no's. There's yes. a lot of decisions based on just somebody's whim, arbitrary yeah. whim. Last minute. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and being there, exactly. A lot of last minute. You know, are mm -hmm. you the, are you the go-to, are you the person that said yes that one time <laughs> and, and, right. and then your career just takes off from there. And so, but also, are you the one that's working your butt off and then, yeah. and nothing's coming from it, you yeah. know, and, and that frustration too. So somebody who's had their metal tested. Yes. Helps. And, and what, what I would also say is like in the field, one thing that's great about returning students is they don't have nearly the fear of failure that young students do. So because they, like you said, they failed, they've gotten back up and they've kept going. So I, I can watch and I'll see like young students not do something quite right. And again, young people, I think more than ever, just have this extreme fear of failure because it's just been yeah. hammered into them by social yeah. media. They look at social media. Everyone looks like they're enjoying their best life. We all know right. that's just, you know, a scam, but they don't know any better and so to have those older students to be like no 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 don't worry about it get back right. on the horse everything's yeah. gonna be cool you know <laughs> and and I, I i love seeing that i love seeing the mini daily failures that are mm -hmm. then picked up again you know and and returning students are, are again really good at that really you know it's okay keep on keeping on my friends it's all gonna yes. be all right you know John, i'm kind of curious like since you know you've you've been in it longer than I have, obviously. Yes, <laughs> and, I'm um, 86 years old. It's uh, nobody knows that, but I, it's I true. think we're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think it's just kind of, yeah, we're pretty yeah. close. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you know, it's still because this is my second career, third career, whatever. Right. 
you have been doing a lot, long, a lot longer. And so I'm kind of curious, like from the time you've been an undergrad until now, do you think anything's changed from, you know, the perspective of academia? Uh-huh. So the people that are entrenched in academia right, right. towards towards CRM and the archaeology that's done by CRM. Oh my God, what a big question. This question is great, but this is like a book. I know. Yeah, so so kind of what's changed. And and I'm just going to go off. I mean, I've seen all kinds of things where we could talk about this different ways. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. Since, since the 1990s, children, I would say that actually <laughs> CRM is more accepted just because it's so huge. Like it's just this huge juggernaut and you have to accept the iron giant that's in the room. You got to be like, well, I accept you, huge giant. (laughs) But the sneering at it hasn't changed too much. If if anything, I would say the two camps have gotten more separate. Yeah, So you have this huge CRM juggernaut, and then you have this little academic tower place. And the little academic tower is scared of the iron giant because it's big, you know? So they just get further up their own ass. I believe that's the scientific term. (laughs) And and they just twist on these theories upon theories upon theories. Yeah. And I got to say, look, I, I'm in that world. I still have a leg in that world. Like I know that world of academia, but I just don't have any respect for someone who takes someone's good work from 30 years ago, right? Somebody with some actual yeah. site work. And then they slap the new theory of the day on it and they go, and then they poo poo what they did in the past. They go, yes. uh, Look at what they did in 1983. They just didn't know. I'm going to put a theory on it that only I understand and show you that that's the way of doing Let me deconstruct this. Oh, something I hate. So, you know, the academic world. This actually reminds me, though, what you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, before it was a thing, archaeology, or I should say academia, but really archaeology, because yeah. that's what I know perfected the cancel culture oh yes oh it was you know the, it's it's ground zero for for so much of that and it's just really unfortunate you know i yeah, mean it is. I, I remember i remember when it, when i was a grad student getting my phd i always wanted the truth you know i always wanted like, yeah. like, like in terms of like how many jobs are out there what is my chance of getting a job yes. and there were professors who were very honest and very truthful you know and there were others who would just kind of talk around and not really you know give you the the straight answer and i would always push i'd be like okay but what are the chances okay but what are the chances for this job what are the chances for this gig and i remember right. i was shocked because one of my fellow grad students took me aside and was like hey andrew stop asking And I'm like, why? Don't you want to know? And they're like, no, I don't want to know. And that is, there you go. Uh, You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's so unfortunate because it's like, you have to live in the real world. You have to live in the real world. And I've met so many people who say, I want to be a college professor and I'm looking at them and and my inner monologue is like, you will never make it, you know? And because it's not about all the A's you got, it's not about that your dissertation got, you know, a gold star at the SAAs or something. It's, it's, can you take all this and communicate to the public and yes. and that's a skill set that they just don't push and it's sad no. like they are they are massively behind on that and, and yeah. it, it needs to happen when i was going through a class actually 
you know, I kind of got into a point where the the place that I was teaching was a vocational school. They were now requiring people to have a credential, a teacher's credential. And so when I was going through your classes and everything, I, I was also getting a teacher's credential at the same time. Right. And that was definitely opened up my mind to understanding that, you know, it, it was kind of shocking because my dad was a professor, he was a professor right. of physics for University of uh-huh. Illinois for a while. And understanding that there's absolutely nothing taught for the, the skill sets that students really need. And that is how to communicate, how to yeah. teach, how to create curriculum, how to. And so because of that, right. it does exactly what you're saying is that it just, you know, the the what has been done is just continued on. Because really, when you think about it, you start something like that, you're overwhelmed, you know, just yeah. from, from the, I can understand, you know, from the defensive side of a, right. of a pr- professor, it's really overwhelming all this yeah. that you have to do. And so, you know what, you stick with what you know, yes. and then that's how these things just keep getting perpetuated and nothing gets yes. improved, yes. you know, until, until somebody like yourself who, who says, okay, you know what, there's a better way of doing this. <laughs> there's yes. a better way. And, but I'm lucky. I'm lucky because yeah. I'm a, I'm at a, uh, I, I can say thanks to so many people like at Moore Park, you know, like, like the, uh, more senior faculty members like mm-hmm. John Baker, you yes. know, we're always I just super, gonna say John Baker. Yeah, yeah. super supportive of me, yeah. the deans, the whatever through the times, because, you know, some of these doing archeology span projects through a school, you have all these kinds of what if they die out in the field, you know, and <laughs> so you have to have yeah. all these kind of you got to sign a lot of forms. You got to have the deans kind right. of behind you. So they they were always very supportive of me. And I'm the only archaeologist, right? We have full uh, four full timers. So uh, at me as the only archaeologist, I get to create my own fiefdom. And it took yeah. it took a bit of backbone. It took me a few years to be like, no, what I like is is a fair thing to do. It's fine for me to do this. I'm going to push, you know, the the skill set. And I'm also going to push the more romantic things like Egyptology or whatever, because I know that hooks students. So I'm pushing the hook and I'm pushing yeah. the the nuts and bolts skill set. And I'm enabled to do it because there's not other archaeologists there, you know, questioning or poo-pooing or being jealous. You know, like I can do what I think is best for the students. Right. Awesome. Well, that is a perfect thought to end this segment and I'm going to take a commercial break and come back on the other side. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome back to episode 220 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And we were talking with Dr. Andrew Kinkella. And I've been absent most of this podcast. Sorry about that. I'm just switching networks and, you know, RV travel. We're in a new location. Who knows what's going on? But anyway... One of the things I wanted to bring up in this last segment, because I always like to talk to people about this, is what would you do if you could do anything and related to CRM, academia, you know, teaching the next crop of students, a field school dream of yours or a, a method of teaching or something? What would you do if the sky was the limit and budgets were infinite? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love that question. That's a great question. And uh, the short answer is I'm already living the dream, baby. Nice. Um, nice. The longer answer is, you know, what is that dream? What, what, it, what do I mean? Is that 
since since I'm sort of the end all be all of teaching archaeology at Moorpark College, I've been able over the years to make a program that's the way I like it. So nice. as we as we said before, it's it's split in half between the really romantic things like Egyptology or the ancient Maya hooks to bring students in, and then the other half on the on the nuts and bolts skill set. You know where we where we do real work at a real place and produce real data. Uh, and yeah. and uh, that's that's taken you know if I may pat myself on my own back, it's taken a lot, a lot of work over the years, but very. Um, satisfying work. Oh, we also have, I've been able to do things like get money mm-hmm. over the years for carbon 14 dates. So every year I have a little budget for carbon 14 dates. So I've been able wow. to get over like 20 carbon 14 dates over the years, which is like really, really great, you know, for the, for the project. So mm-hmm. in my dream situation, I'd like to continue doing that. And, and I, my, my career, it's, it's like, I have like kind of Andrew, the, the archeology span professor, and then it's kind of like Andrew, the Saturday class archeology span professor who brings archeology span students out on Saturdays. And then I have Andrew, the Belize archeologist who works in like the cenotes <laughs> in the middle of Belize and, and on the ancient Maya. And I have all that. And, and I'd like to continue that. I do think in, in my, my larger dream of sort of, can't we all get along is I, I, I just think that, that CRM and academia are going to have to take a couple steps closer together. They're just have to, it's become, I mean, it's a, it's insane already. And it's like, there, there has to be a detente in the fighting, you know, we got to, it's got to be Christmas and we got to get out of the trenches and shake hands and, play soccer, mm-hmm. you know, before we go back to the fighting. And it's, it, it, it's, it, and my meaning there is like in the academic world, they're going to have to do, I, I hate to say this, but it's like, they're going to have to do more real work, you know, like they're going to yeah. have to go out and run a project and actually dig a square hole and do the nuts and bolts of archeology span and not just continually like re up their old stuff with a new theory. Like, yep. I'm sorry, I see through you, you know, and <laughs> then in, in the CRM world, maybe closer contacts with the general public. And, and, and this is probably my big push these days for both sides is just more contact with the general public, where I mean, writing books for the general public. I mean, mm-hmm. for the general public, not a warmed over <laughs> uh, report where you're like, oh, a fellow human could read that. I mean, no, 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 no. Something that, yeah. that, you know, you could buy like at Barnes and Noble, like sure. like that kind of thing. And I would, and then on the on the academic side too, a respect for public work, like like underneath it all, they don't give you they don't give you accolades at all when you when yeah. you do stuff for the general public in academia. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I've felt this firsthand lots of times. You know, and uh, like going on television. I've done a, a portion of that going on the Science Channel um, for for different shows. I've been on What on Earth. I've been on uh, ancient. What was it? Ancient. I forgot. Ancient, ancient undiscovered aliens. files. Yeah, no, I haven't been on Ancient <laughs> Aliens. But <laughs> but check this out. Check this out. Everyone you know who Sabina Ancient was. Aliens. Huh? Remember Sabina. Yeah, he was a professor of both yours and mine. Right on there. Yeah, Sabina's great. Yes, and see, my point with all that is, you got to take the call. Like, I I would go on Ancient Aliens in two seconds. uh, I'm not going to say stuff that's not true, but I'm happy to be the foil that they'll poo-poo. You know, look at this egghead with his data. But that's (laughs) fine. Like, you do that, and and that stuff. Like all that public outreach stuff gets knocked out 
at step one in the yeah, academic yeah. realm. And I hate it. Like, like yeah. they need to shake hands on that, you know, yes. and, and do it. They look down on you if you do these kinds of things. Oh, well, it's not, you yeah. know, it's so not long. of a certain level. And it's like, so yeah. Right. Yeah. And nobody's going to watch that. It's like nobody's going to watch it if you're like, oh, you just need to read your field report or something on television. Yeah, no. That's or you act like a know-it-all. You right. know, how many times did they sit there, they have their nose like, like almost physically have their nose up, but they certainly yes. talk to lead us. <laughs> yes. And it's like, and it, any, anybody who like as a kid thought, oh, I'd love to be an archaeologist. Exactly. No freaking way. Oh, <laughs> it drives me yeah. nuts. It's like, do you have connection to your own inner child? Does your inner child really want to <laughs> yeah. read your field report? No, yeah. he doesn't. You know, like, but yeah. what does he want? He wants, he wants, you know, he wants the cliches, the treasures and yeah. tombs and pyramids. And that's mm-hmm. fine because right. you you throw the cliche out there, but then you explain. It's okay to, you right. know, to talk because people will be curious about treasure. And you go, okay, treasure. But then you bring them in and then you go, well, in reality, it's like this. And then I find that most people get even more excited because they love that they're working on the real thing. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. So, well, you know, and let me tell you how I really feel. You know, it's just like <laughs> this stuff, it's, it really hits a nerve, that public outreach so far behind in archaeology. Yes. You know, as, as someone who's been in, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, media in archaeology by doing uh-huh. these podcasts for the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I had to create that situation for myself, but it's still, you know, we reach a, we reach a pretty wide audience. And sure. I tell people all the time, like, and, and it, I get... I get calls from producers all the time too. Right. They me must too. have looked up my profile and know what yep. I look like because they usually ask me, "Hey, do you know anybody that would be good for this show?" But anyway, <laughs> no, it's no. It, face for podcasting. No, 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 no. Yeah, you <laughs> but, joke, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I get those calls too. And again, it's pick up the phone and take the call. You know, yeah, and that's what you, I'm saying. Which you do, and Chris, I, I have I, I have huge respect for you for for doing this podcast, and I know you've been doing it for years. I've seen you at uh, archaeology meetings and stuff, mm-hmm. hawking your wares, you know, and you, and yeah. you ha- as you have to. And so I have I have immense respect for that. And and Heather, you know how much it hurts me to say positive things about other people, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I I love what Chris is doing here, and I think this is just it's not just important; it's vital. Yes. It's vital yes. we do these kinds of things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've, uh, I appreciate that first off. And second, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always tell people, you know, we need better role models, even if the, even if the producer or the production company and the show is going to misrepresent you, we all know that's going to happen as professionals yes. and, the, and, but the public doesn't care, right? They don't know the difference. Right. And all they right. see is somebody who it says, you know, Dr. So-and-so under their, under their title, and maybe they'll yes. go look them up and then they'll go see some stuff that they've really done and, you know, and go from there. One of our yeah. other podcasts, the, the rock art podcast, Dr. Alan Garfinkel mm-hmm. was just on an episode of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, this whole, oh yeah, this whole crazy thing. <laughs> Thing. And I, I didn't even know this was a whole series. I thought he was on like an episode of like a bigger thing that was right. like all these different things. But this is it's this whole thing on Skinwalker Ranch. And there's a lot of crazy going on there. Mm-hmm. But he went on willingly because he is a, a well-known rock art scholar in his field. Right. And yeah, sure. They cut him up interestingly, but still yes. he was on there representing and he did it. And yes. I just we can't have 
too much of that. So I have only respect for that. And so few people yeah. do it. You know, you just, you have yeah. to push forward and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, Chris, when you do this kind of stuff in the media, it just feels like you're pushing forward into darkness, you know, yeah. because nobody's told you how to do this. You don't know right. what the contacts are. You just kind of keep on trucking. Like, but besides, besides the stuff I've done on television, I also have a YouTube channel that I've, mm-hmm. I've pushed for a couple of years. And again, I'll give my shout out. It's Kinkella teaches archeology on, nice. uh, on YouTube and, and starting that, I just, I just felt like I was in darkness and, you know, months would go by. I'm like, I hope maybe somebody's, I don't know, somebody's right. watching it, <laughs> but, it, but it did start to pick up, you know, yeah. I, I had sort of a, a come to Jesus a meeting with myself about four years ago in the, in, in my own office where he I was like, I'm going to, by the way, huh? so everybody else, I said, he talks himself a lot. <laughs> oh, no, I talk to myself constantly. I mean, I, I'm actually being recorded right now. What? I thought I was just talking to myself. Uh, but no, I did. I, I literally, I think, did out loud say something like, I'm doing it. You know, where, and, and what I meant by that is I'm starting a YouTube channel. And then I got in touch with uh, Past Preservers, which is a media yeah. company. That, right. They're basically my agent. And then, because I would get, like Krista's, I would get these producers, this media stuff that would just come to me and they'd find me the weirdest ways. One of them found mm-hmm. me because my rate, my professor ratings were high. <laughs> that's how they got. So I was well, like, I need smart. to organize this. Huh? Yeah, that's sm- but that's smart because if right. you're relating to students, then right. you're obviously going to have a better chance of being interesting. Yeah. You know, but, uh, to the audience. Yeah. But I yeah. follow it up. And like Heather, like you were saying earlier, it, I mean, it's, it's basically acting. It's just like acting in terms of there's a ton of rejection. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, followed up so many of these that went halfway or went nowhere. So the times when it actually became something that doesn't show you the 15 times when it didn't become something. I want to step back a second because we're running out of time on this podcast and go back to the CRM versus versus academia thing. Because I wanted to ask you, I've had thoughts on why there's such a divide there. I mean, I had the same thing when I was an undergrad. I've told this story lots of times. Nobody really told me about CRM. It was like a bullet point on an archaeology 101 class kind of thing. But I'm wondering... You know, you've you've worked in Belize, you know, yeah. you've studied Mayan archaeology and you've done yeah. stuff down there. And a lot of professors have done stuff in other countries. Do you think mm-hmm. that's part of the divide? CRM is here and a lot of professors just aren't working here in the United States. Oh, They're working yeah. abroad because that's kind of the sexy thing to do in archaeology. Right, right. And they kind of discount here and as a byproduct CRM or am I off base there? I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not. Um, I, I, that's something, I don't think the correlation there, I don't think that is as strong a problem as some of the other stuff, if that makes sense. Because I Uh find like, let's say you're doing a project in Belize and you're doing a real nuts and bolts project in Belize. You're digging up square holes in Belize. Like those people on that project, they'll still have a respect for CRM because they know, you know, like, like, because they're doing real work, just like CRM is doing real work. I think it just gets into the high... It's, I think the problem is just the highest echelons of academia where they where they, you know, literally kind of thumb their nose at not just <laughs> CRM, but real work, you know, where yeah. that's beneath them, where the workers do that. Not me. I just use my big brain, do publications or something. You know, mm-hmm. I, right. I think that I think more of the problem, it's almost like a class difference problem rather than I get what you're saying about working in sure. foreign yeah. countries versus at home. But uh, well, I, I think that's part of it. That also plays into a class thing, right? Yes. So, you it's, know. 
it's more that to to me and you know and there's a there's a pressure in the academic world to to get on that bandwagon as we talked about before just you know horrific terms like meta theory theories about <laughs> theories you know that, right. like right. that world because i think they're also going to be maybe a tiny bit jealous too of maybe somebody in the crm world who's doing real work it's like underneath right. it all you know they're yeah. they're actually digging the hole. You're not. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I don't know. We're working on some really amazing sites. Right. I mean, now, like right now, I can tell you, I'm working just our office. The staff, my staff is Mm -hmm. working on six unbelievable sites. I mean, like six sites that people would um, want to build their entire dissertation on. Six sites that people would love to get their hands on but can't. Right. And the reason that we're there is because obviously there's some kind of construction that's going on yes. and we are the ones that that are there to make sure it's preserved and documented properly and right. and it you know goes through because we're California the CEQA process mm-hmm. or NEPA process it's on federal lands and so we're touching sites that uh, professors would dream to touch you know yes. and they need to people need to understand you know a lot of times professors that that is they they sometimes they can go through and only work on one site their right. higher career yes. And yeah, I understand, you know, I think that that is a, it's a really it's it's important because then they become an expert on that site. But mm-hmm. also what CRM can do for somebody just from forget CRM versus academia. Yeah. If you're working and building yourself and your skill set as an archaeologist, being able to have perspectives and understand not just intersite and in, intersite, <laughs> intersite yeah. understandings of, you know, archaeological sites so that you can bring the mm-hmm. perspective from another site and and look at this new site from that lens and right. being able to have that perspective. It's invaluable where, yes. you know, you don't have that myopic view. It, it's right. really important. So even forget CRM. And there's a yeah. ton of good CRM archaeology out there that is, you know, not being given it's due. Now, yes. I will say on the other side, CRM is not really good, just like you're saying, in actually publishing something that's yes. not just something that they have to get through the sequel process. It's, or they it's need like to those, exactly. I've seen some, you know, I mean, and I've, I've worked on sites like that too, that are like fascinating and amazing, but it's like, you're, it's like the five sites that you'll never hear about because they did some great literature and like it's yeah. done, you know? I'll so tell you why a lot of it is because we just don't have the time. Like, I know there's so much I wish that we, you know, but we have to do what we have to do because we have that client. Right. And that's not to say we do something that's unethical. We don't. But we're not able to really get into like we would like, although the company I work for, we really work on being able to, you know, we I'm lucky that my company allows us to have these passion projects where we're able to dig a little bit deeper, so to speak, into into sites that aren't needed for our client to get through their process, but we can continue to chew on it aside if we find a site that's really interesting. Yeah. But that's where we have to, that's where we have to take our step into the darkness. You know, that's where we have to take our own time and write a book for the general public, you know, and both sides. I always say that look, CRM and academia, they're two sides of the same coin. Good God. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's like together they make the whole and the, and where one side is low on one thing, the other side is high in it and sort of vice versa, you know, but, but for both sides, they need to take, that step, you know, just into the general public sphere and and write up that awesome site. Do it yep. in a tone that normal people can read. Yes. And it, that's only a good thing. 
Yes. But see, th- this is also where they can CRM and academia can come back together, right? Because mm-hmm. CRM is 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 required to go out there and do certain things. We do a lot of site discovery. We find these awesome things. Just on this project, we just wrapped in the last two months. We did a phase of it last September, and you know we found an awesome rock shelter that was it was documented like 35 years ago, but never excavated. And right. and there's just some really cool things that we found that honestly we don't have time to dig into, so to speak. Yeah. But if we could pass this off and have a good relationship with uh, you know, a school with a with a graduate program. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a project waiting to happen for a grad student, something they yeah. could build their career on. They could be the next yes. David Hurst Thomas with this rock shelter <laughs> up here and uh, and go go nuts on it. Right. So, yeah, um, totally. See that connection too. that, like because so much of that stuff, it doesn't necessarily get lost. It just sort of gets forgotten, you know, and, yeah. it, and right. if you just had that connection and that connection was obvious and easy, then right. then that could really be done. Well, the sheer volume of it, too, is just, mm-hmm. you know, because there's stuff being found all the time that that mm-hmm. could be something amazing. So, well, I think yeah. that's all the time we have. Uh, I know we could come back and, and keep talking about this and we should. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Andrew, absolutely. We, so. We, I think we need to do part two, part three, part <laughs> ten. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy whenever because, you know, just talking about myself is my specialty. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Things never change. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Andrew. And mm-hmm. again, we'll have you on. We'll link to your YouTube channel in the show notes and see if we can't bump it by 0.005%. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there there we go. You'll, you'll see that CRM mark bump. And you, that, I, I can't wait for it. And it's just, it's been a blast talking with you guys. Thank you so much for having thanks, me on. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thank you. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. Bye, everyone. Take more Park College class if you're within 300 miles. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.